Welcome to the iConnect with Baxter Canada podcast. This is where we connect with healthcare providers from various clinical settings to learn more about how they are leading through innovation, protocol development, and integration of evidence to provide excellent clinical care to their patients. Join the conversation with your hosts from Medical Affairs at Baxter Canada. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of I Connect with Baxter Canada podcast. My name is Michelle DeGloria. I'm a registered nurse and a medical science liaison supporting the medication delivery team at Baxter Canada, and I will be your host for this episode. As always, our goal is to bring you interesting and relevant topics that influence your day-to-day practice as a clinician. Today, I am excited to welcome Jennifer Regundin from Michael Guerin Hospital in Toronto, Ontario. Thank you for joining me today. I am pleased to welcome Jennifer Regundin to today's episode of iConnect with Baxter Canada. I want to welcome you and ask you to introduce yourself and your current role and tell us a little bit about your experience. I am the clinical resource leader for Michael Guerin Hospital. So my portfolio is nursing practice and education. Under the uh, that um, umbrella, I work with um, organizational rollouts, organizational training for nurses, and definitely paying attention to policies and procedures for nursing practice. What I also work with and the team that I also work with is the nursing resource team, our extern program, our supervised practice experience program for our internationally educated nurses. So a lot of practice and education components. So I, I see a lot within this role, and um, thank you. That's it definitely sounds like you have a full plate, um, probably an overflowing plate. Uh, it is, it is, it is a huge plate, and I started February 2020, right before our pandemic. So all I know oh, of the organization is our, our uh, pandemic practices. So I have to relearn my role as soon as everything is settling down or settles down. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's a huge accomplishment that in itself to start a new position at the beginning of such a a career in hospital and organizational changing event um, is huge. And not only did you start then, but I understand that you also took on a huge organizational practice change at the same time by by changing out your fleet of IV infusion pumps to a newer version. And I'm just wondering if you want to share a little bit more with me about the process of implementing uh, new infusion pumps at your organization, sort of what the project management plan was, who was involved, the timeline, and and what some of your training targets were. Wonderful. So... This was my first huge uh, project here at Michael Guerin. And in essence, I want to take you back to wave one, March 2020, when all of us just got the announcement of the pandemic and not really knowing what to do. So our eyes were probably glued to the news and watching how other countries were experiencing the pandemic, the ICU overflow in Italy and New York. And so 
seeing what the experience was for other countries and other ICUs, the organization essentially started planning what it could look like here. Because at the time, we still didn't have huge populations within our intensive care. So there was a brief window, I guess. I, I think we started in May um, to change out the fleet of pumps. And, and, and thinking about the time, we had no idea what was coming. And so we were just ensuring that we had the right equipment for the right patient population at the right time. And so um that 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 change out in fleet actually was a two-phase approach and i i am grateful for 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 that approach and i think it's something that folks should think about uh, we started with the intensive care unit just to prepare for for possible new york level type of patient um um flow and we focused and learned a lot from that um, implementation or phase one implementation as the team essentially uh, called it. So who was involved? Very many people were involved, although it seems like it's a nurse-centric equipment of IV pumps. Like we were working with pharmacy. We were working with biomed. Uh, um, we were working closely with engineering to understand the electrical implications of some of the, the new equipment or accessories that were coming in. Um, the project plan in essence um, came with your team so the Baxter team came in with a plan clear roles and responsibilities in a time of uncertainty they were just able to redefine what was necessary so if you can just imagine just the uncertainty and bringing in new equipment um, so it was really helpful for somebody who was new to my role just to see the plan I'm not new to project management but definitely new to pandemic styles of work yes. <laughs> and so there was the anchoring conversations that we had with the project plan team. So Baxter was involved. Um, our team was involved. Stores was involved. Um, just to make sure that we've got the right um, supplies for the, the new equipment. I'm wondering, um, when you think about um, readiness for change and that type of thing, imp making a big change uh, is difficult anytime. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine that adding this on with, like you said, the evolving news stories of what other places were experiencing during the pandemic and the uncertainty of what were, would we experience in Canada? What would we experience at your organization? Um, must have made, I would think, change a little bit more difficult. Yes. So change was difficult, but there was a clear intent in, in the change, right? So we had um, IV pumps um, at the time uh, prior to this implementation of, of new, a new fleet that was at end of life. So they were big. Um, there were injuries involved because they were heavy. Um, just, just the type of equipment that we had, we knew it wouldn't if, if we had the type of patient population uh, that New York was experiencing, we knew it was not going to be sufficient. Mm -hmm. So having the right equipment for the right patient population at the right time, I think everyone was on the same page. And despite the difficulty of learning new equipment, we all had the same goal of patient care. Mm -hmm. So I think people were on board. And the fact that we actually had ICU go first and lead the change, we were able to learn a lot since... Um, 
we were able to learn a lot because we wanted to learn a lot right. so that when we went to the next phase of the implementation, we can definitely get our ICU um, nurses to talk about their experience and, and learn from them because this was the whole thing. Everything is new. The environment was uncertain. The teams in, within the ICU, we were starting to develop um, um, support nurses in the ICU who are not right. trained right. intensive care nurses. So, but everyone was just willing to learn because of the uncertainty. A lot of, a lot of um, emotional support was also provided through through the education somehow. Um, that there was something new that we were providing, and that was anchoring the conversations during a time of uncertainty. If that makes sense. Um, did you start out with any sort of ideal training targets? Like you wanted to reach X percentage of staff completely trained and ready to go? Or um, did you find that given everything else that was going on, that there was a little more um, looseness in, in meeting those targets? Or, or what was your experience? Uh, so I had to actually, um, I have to be honest, I wasn't looking at training targets at the point because the original suggestion was let's get to 70% of active staff. And so with that in mind, I started um, paying attention to how many nurses we had actively. And I say actively because sickles, um, staffing was uncertain at that time. What we eventually got to after both phases were complete was, I believe, as far as I can recall, an um, 93%, uh, 94% completion or training success across both phases, right? So we were able to get that with the help of your team because it was actually a hybrid type of education and we didn't know what that meant at the time. Mm -hmm. So training at least 94% of the targeted staff at the time was a lovely um, surprise and achievement. Yeah, no, I would say everything that you sort of touched on the um, uncertainty in staffing availability even you know if you were suddenly swamped with uh, lots of extra patients and not enough staff to meet that the patient needs it's really hard to leave and take on training although yes. important there has to be some way you know to sort of modify or make it um, meet the needs of the the clinicians and the end users and I'm curious, when you talk about the hybrid model, what did that look like? So it was my first time actually encountering anything of the sort. And I think we had to be creative in order to understand, um, just to abide by the, the then lockdown, I guess, that we were experiencing at the time. So hybrid uh, to our organizational training meant that the um, your team trainers, faster trainers, mm -hmm. were on Zoom. Okay. And we had our clinical resource leaders or CRLs at the in the classroom supporting the training. So definitely it was a partnership of ensuring that the content was being shared and the psychomotor skill of programming the pump, loading the pumps were supported by the clinical resource leaders um, in the classroom. So if that makes sense. Yeah, and absolutely. Awesome. And would you say, um, I think... From our perspective, I know we also had to sort of shift and figure out how we would continue to do things. And we were there was a lot of uncertainty everywhere um, in knowing that, would it work? In your opinion, would you say that it worked? Or would you say 
um, in, if, if you had a choice between in-person or, or this t- type of model, would you prefer one over the other or um, just curious? Great question. So, I mean, I look at it um, and, and, and twofold. At the time, it really worked because the content was covered by somebody else and then somebody was supporting that psychomotor skill. So if there was an opportunity to actually have two on site of the Baxter team training, it would be the most ideal just from my perspective as an educator mm-hmm. um, and practice leader, because then um, it would free up the, the CRL to support the units in another way. Right. But at the time it worked, it was effective. It was a great partnership. And I think we had a play like there was a script and then there was an evolved script over time of how the interplay between the trainer on Zoom and the CRL um, on site was supporting the training. And it actually worked for, for the time. And I, I, I was excited to see it. Thanks for asking that yeah, question. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear because it is one of those things that we, I think everyone, anyone who's involved in any type of education really struggles with. What is the ideal way to deliver the education that assures that it will be effective and retained and uh, not too overwhelming um, and meets really everyone's needs, the need of um, the organization, the need of the clinician, the need of the patient, because ultimately the patient is on the receiving end and needs to be comforted in knowing that their clinician knows how to operate their equipment. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. What are some of the greatest learnings that you had from this project? Ah, Greatest learning would be really working as a team with the team, right? Yes. The goals are clear. We know we want to implement it, but truly define the parts within um, the hospital side, what that means to us. Um, so definitely working with a team and managing and monitoring the training and statistics was important to me. Having a clear training plan, not just for the implementation, but something that I could have carried on to onboarding new staff right. was important because a lot of the learn um, education and training that was learned from the team and um, the scripts that we created together is still embedded into our new um, new higher orientation. The iLearns, um, I should say, e-learning modules that was created is also implemented into the expected um, modules that our new hire should be, uh, should be completing as they join the organization. And definitely having access to the dashboard um, of, of the drug error reducing system or the DERS um, was important. So not just a, um, nursing holding the responsibility, right. but nursing, biomed and pharmacy holding the responsibility so that we can actually debrief any type of incidents together um, and, and work as a team to find proper solutions. And I think that's one of the really neat things is is seeing this from a very collaborative approach. Too often we find ourselves working on our own silo and not really truly appreciating what the other multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary team members are doing or, or are responsible for. So I really appreciate the fact that you've called out the, the need to come together and really work together as a stakeholder team because ultimately we all have the same goal at the end of the day. 
I think really just the best example of that, like simply said, was uploading the drug library onto the network. So pharmacy created the list. Nurses vetted items one by one to see if it actually was practiced. And then Biomed at the helm waiting to upload and ensure that the pumps receive the drug updates to, to, to the library. So every step of the way it needs to be team so we can work together for that patient safety ex- and and patient experience mm-hmm. is there anything you know i always say hindsight is 2020 when you're able to look back on something and say oh geez if only i had known i would definitely have done this differently is there anything as you look back on the process and understand obviously it was very uh, difficult circumstances anyway to take on such a large project but i'm just curious if there's anything that you would do differently if you had to do it all over again today? I think the true appreciation of the procurement process is mm. probably something new to a lot of clinicians. Definitely day-to-day for, for our procurement team, but for us, just understanding buying the correct um, accessories, right. the correct IV poles, the trays in order to have multiple pumps running was in and of itself an exercise uh, of patience. Mm-hmm. Because our, our hospital has multiple types of buildings, right? I mean, old buildings, new buildings, and there's a new building coming up. And the, the electrical out, uh, outlets were different. And mm-hmm. so we had to plan out what type of accessories were required for every building and, and how to ensure that it didn't cross so that it doesn't spark um, any kind of electrical instability in the system. So that was a, a fun process to learn where I got to work with the um, engineering team um, to check out what was required uh, with the specs of the accessories we had selected. Oh time. <laughs> time is important. If we had it at the time, at the time of implementation, I would have asked for more. Um, yes. Just to do it slow without rushing. Right. And so I can now appreciate why it takes weeks, months and years to get anything because it's just a lot of thought, a lot of intent and discussing possibles and uh, mitigating any type of risk. So yeah. Probably teaching clinicians about why the why it's important and um, ahead of time would be relevant. <laughs> well, and I think you've brought up like great points that I know I would never have even considered. I would have thought, well, a plug is a plug is a plug. I can if it works <laughs> here, right. it's going to work over there too, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I felt like. A, a true generalist and, yes. and specialist at the same time with this with this implementation, and I'm glad for the experience. <laughs> I was going to say you'll be able to add that on your resume of um, knowledge, electrical uh. outlet selection. <laughs> Most definitely. No, <laughs> so I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> I'm wondering, as we sort of come to the end here, if you could share what your top three recommendations would be for healthcare organizations who are considering or in the process of implementing a change in medical devices? So I'll reemphasize collaborating with the team, uh, the Baxter team, definitely very worthwhile to plan out, to anchor, to be solid in in your um, thought process because the guiding questions that was provided was very much worth um, the time spent Mm because it is a lot of time, but definitely worth it when it comes to actually seeing the the outcomes. Um, Making sure that training plan is clear, (laughs) probably having calendars on everyone's um, 
meeting invites or calendars um, sent out is is important, especially if you're in the pandemic and everything is happening at the same time. Right. Carving out the time to send out these meeting invites was important. And um, weekly conversations was a must. So everything will hinge on team. Your, your internal team, your um, team teaming up with a Baxter group and just always debriefing and checking in with each other. Um, my favorite part of the experience was that lesson learned at the end of phase one, because everything we learned from phase one got applied to phase two. And despite the bigger implementation targets mm -hmm. of the rest of the hospital versus ICU, um, there was confidence in the process. Um, I want to thank you, Jennifer, for joining me today. The, I've learned a lot about your experience during uh, the pandemic and implementing new infusion pumps. I can only imagine uh, the challenges um, on a regular day-to-day -day basis during that time, but throw a, a big, huge project like this on top, a lot. Uh, so my hat goes off to you and everyone at Michael Guerin for an amazing job. And I want to thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To listen to more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe to ensure you always receive notification. Please reach out to us by email if you have any questions, comments, or feedback. We look forward to having you back with us next time. Thank you for joining us for the episode of I Connect with Baxter. All of the opinions and experiences expressed in this episode are those of the guest speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Baxter Canada. If there are other areas of interest you would like to see included on future podcasts, please email those to iConnect at Baxter.com.